Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Church. Enjoy the message. I want to speak to you today about living in victory. If you're taking notes at the top, write down living in victory. I think in your seats is a card that says Soma Summer has a place where you can take notes on the other side, unless you have your own journal or a place to take notes. Living in victory. I'm going to share some scripture from Proverbs, and then we're going to jump over to Ephesians chapter 6 in a moment. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31. says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. The horse is made ready for battle. We do play a role in this. But ultimately, victory rests with the Lord. Everybody say Victory. How do we live in victory? We, we, maybe you, in your life personally, you have maybe have people in your life and it doesn't look like they're living in victory. They're living a defeated life. They just feel like they've been beat up by the world or maybe beat up by the devil. And just, you know, many people are not living victorious. How can we live victorious? Maybe you're personally experiencing defeat either in a certain area of your life or maybe in a relationship. How do we live in victory? Well, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10... Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, and put on the full armor of God. Let's stop there for a moment, because number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. We must be strong. Everybody say, be strong. strong. But be strong in the Lord. We're not being strong in our own strength, but we're strong in the Lord. I'm glad that verse doesn't stop after be strong, period. No, it says be strong in the Lord, because if it was up to me, I would be in trouble. It's about being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul here is telling us to be strong in the Lord. He's making it clear in Ephesians 6, as he's kind of wrapping up his, church, his letter to Ephesus, that the Christian life is not a playground. The Christian life looks more like a battleground. That there is a battle going on. It's an unseen battle that's taking place. So Paul is writing this to the church of Ephesus. And for Ephesus, this was a a relevant issue. They clearly understood what Paul was talking about. Because they were aware of the occult. They were aware of the spirit world. They were aware that there were demons at work that they could not see. They were very much aware of that. And to understand that, you're going to have to go back to Acts chapter 19. Now, the book of Acts is the actions of the early church. 
And that's where you see, this is the behind the scenes story. This is where Paul goes into Ephesus to share the gospel, to plant a church like Soma Church, like to go in and share the gospel with Ephesus. But the problem was there was resistance. They were not open to the gospel like Paul had hoped. So they were resisting the gospel. God fills Paul with the power of the Holy Spirit. He starts doing miracles. They start, he starts casting out demons. And people are like, whoa, this is for real. This God is for real. And people started getting saved. Where there were these, there were these seven guys. The Bible calls them the seven sons of Sceva. Their dad's name was Sceva. Sceva was a chief priest, not a follower of Jesus, but a religious person, religious leader. And his seven sons thought, well, this is, this is pretty cool. I like what Paul's doing. He's casting demons out in the name of Jesus. We're going to give this a try. Let's, let's, let's try doing what Paul's doing. Let's take this little formula, kind of almost like it's magic, and let's try to cast demons out of people in the name of Jesus, even though they didn't believe in Jesus. Well, let's see how this goes in Acts chapter 19, verse 14. The seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time they tried it. The evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all throughout, all through, through Ephesus to the Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city. And the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at, the, at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. The message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. These seven dudes... These seven sons of Sceva thought, hey, we can do this because we're, we're pretty powerful dudes. We're pretty strong. But not being followers of Jesus, they were not strong in the Lord. And they go against this one guy, demon-possessed. This one man overpowers seven guys. We don't know much about them. I don't know how, what size they were, what their ages were. But they, this one guy went after seven, beat them up rip their clothes off, and they go running off naked and battered. I know mean, that's a bad day, right? Not only were they physically abused, but can you imagine what it did to them psychologically and emotionally to get totally beat up like that? One guy beating up seven. Why? Because they simply tried to be strong in themselves. They didn't have Jesus. And that's what happens, it's a dangerous place to be when we think it's about us and we can be strong in the Lord. If you ever thought the Bible was boring, just read stories like this, right? See, we can't see the unseen world. We can't see all this happening in the spirit world, but it's there. It's kind of like germs. You know, we, up until about 150 years ago, even the medical community didn't believe that there were really germs. And they didn't realize that they were taking their dirty hands after working with either someone with disease or even a, a deceased person, and they would turn around without washing their hands and deliver a baby, and they'd understand why people were dying. Because you couldn't see the germs. 
Something that was unseen was impacting something that was seen. But it wasn't until we realized, oh, these germs, we should probably start washing the medical equipment. We should probably start washing our hands because what's unseen was impacting what is seen. See, in that culture, they were very much aware of the occult activity. They were very much aware that there was, there was a spirit world at work. Unlike our culture today, perhaps. We're not really aware that there is a spirit world at work. We have angels watching over us, and there are demons that are at work as well. I don't say that to make you be afraid, but that you would be aware. Tony Campalo, a few years ago, said this, and I thought it was interesting. He said, Satan is the one appearing in movies telling us that romantic love and sexual pleasure are the keys to fulfillment. He's the one behind the economic system that teaches us that money is the key to success and happiness. He's the one who sits in the psychologist's chair offering ultimate hope in life apart from God. He works in and through governments that coddle people into thinking that government help is the answer. He's the one teaching from our pulpits that life is about you, that hell is not for real, and that the standards of the Bible are for a different time and place. Wow. That's a very interesting perspective, isn't it? So what do we do? If you're in battle, you need to understand who the enemy is. Who's the enemy? You don't want to go into battle without understanding, okay, who are we fighting here? Who's the enemy? Let's look together at verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So who are we at war with? Who's the enemy? Well, Satan and his demonic forces are the enemy. People are not the enemy. You may have been hurt by people, but people are not the enemy. That's what Paul is saying here. So that person who hurts you, and, it, and that hurt was real, they're not the enemy. That ex-spouse, that ex-boss, that person who hurts you when you were a child, they are not the enemy. The, the enemy was behind all of it, but they aren't the enemy. Our fight and our struggle is not against flesh and blood. See, Satan can only be at one place at a time. He is not omnipresent. He is not all-powerful. We serve a, a God who is all-powerful, and he can be everywhere at the same time. Satan is limited. He can only be at one place at a time. But he has demons that he sends out to carry out his assignments. The good news, as believers, we have angels that are watching over us, plus we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen, everybody? Amen. So what does he do next? He says, stand firm, verse 13. Stand firm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And then he says, stand again after this. So three times we see the word stand. And I began to wonder, why did Paul say, understand who the enemy is, and then just stand there? <laughs> Shouldn't we like go to action? Shouldn't we like do something like let's charge the gates of hell, right? No, he says stand. What is he saying? He said, stand your ground. The ground that Jesus has already displayed the victory. 
See, we need to understand that because of Jesus, because of the cross, and because of the resurrection, Jesus has already declared the victory. We have already won. See, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Let me say it again. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Can I remind you that Jesus has already won victoriously? He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave. And when he stretched out his arms on the cross, he said, it is what? Finished. Oh, I'm so glad he didn't say, I did the best I could, now it's up to you. I did 95% and the last 5% is up to you. No, he said, it is finished. He declared victory. We don't live for victory. We live from victory. We don't pray for victory. We pray from a posture of victory because Jesus has already won. Proverbs 21, 31, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Bible says there will come a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We win. As believers, we are victorious. If you're not sure, read the end of the book. We win. We are champions. We're on the winning team. Come on, somebody. That's good news. Yeah, we can give God praise for that. It's a great place to give God praise. Come on, give God praise. There You guys over here on this side of North Carolina, you guys have been watching any of the Carolina Hurricane Stanley playoffs? Stanley Cup playoffs? Anybody? There's three. I see that hand. Four or five, right? It's hockey. There's a, there's a sport called hockey. It has ice on it, and there's these sticks, and they hit the puck around, and they try to get it into the goal. And so Martha and I have become what's called caniacs, or at least I would say I'm a caniac. I think Martha is an emerging caniac. And uh, we love going to hockey games. And Martha loves it when we have tickets to, the, to go watch, the, especially when it comes time for the playoffs. And we went to some of the playoff games. How many of you guys are into sports? Any football fans, basketball, right? You understand. You guys are with me right now. So, so this is a big deal when you're, when you're, you know, Martha and I are wearing our hockey sweaters and we're at the game. And this game goes into overtime. A Stanley Cup playoffs, it goes into overtime, and we win. it. And nothing like an overtime playoff win. And, and 20,000 fans in the PNC arena go crazy including me. And, and we're just like going nuts. Like, and it's over. Like, it's over. Like, we won. And it's like, the place is going crazy. You're high-fiving strangers. It's just like, this is awesome. Everybody's leaving the place just shouting. Like, just amazing. The next day, I'm still feeling the victory. I'm still like, you ever like had something so good that happened the day before? You're like, you're still feeling it the next day. I'm like, and I had to record the game. So I I watched the game. I re-watched the game I'd already been to live. Now, I was watching it live. I was nervous, you know. I was like, we can't lose this game. This is important. If the other team scored a, a goal, I was like, oh, my God. You know, if there was a, a bad call that we thought, you know, everybody in PNC and 20,000 fans disagreed with the referee's decision, or at least 19,000 or so, because there's always a handful of people from up north that are watching their teams or whatever. And I would be frustrated because, man, that was a bad call. 
Like, that wasn't offsides. I mean, what does offsides even mean, like in hockey, anyways? <laughs> the next day, I was watching the game. Can I tell you? What's your name? Micah. You like hockey? Oh, Chicago Blackhawks. There you go. That's good. They didn't have too good of a year, though, did they? I don't think. <laughs> anyway, so, Micah, when I was watching the game the next day, first of all, Martha was like, why are you, why are you watching the game? Like, we were just at it. Like, it's a long story. Anyway, so, I'm watching the game. Can I tell you, if the other team scored a goal, no worries. That call that I thought was gonna, a bad call, didn't bother me. When we scored a goal, it was great. When they scored a goal, I wasn't worried because I knew we were going to come back and we were going to win. I wasn't nervous because the Hurricanes won. I knew how the game ended. Listen, as believers, Micah, I think you agree with me on this, that Micah and I got up here having a great, great time, having a great conversation, that we win. So when we understand we are victorious in the end, we know how it ends Jesus has won the victory. We don't get all wound up tight and nervous when something happens that we didn't think was going to go the way it did. Why? Because ultimately we know that we win. We are victorious. We know how the game ends. That makes sense? That's good news. And then we see Paul says, now, put on the armor of God. Put on the armor. And we see these six pieces of armor that we should put on. It's interesting to say, he, he says, therefore put on the full armor of God, that we, we must be intentional about putting on the armor of God. Nobody's going to put on the armor for you. I have to put on the armor. Now, when I was a little kid, my mom would pick out my clothes and, and she would put them on me, right? Maybe that was for you. When you're little, you, don't, you can't pick out your own clothes and put on your clothes yet. And even when you start getting older, my mom would still pick out clothes for me and lay them out the night before, and this is what you're going to wear tomorrow. I'm like a little kid. I don't have a choice in this. It's not really an opinion. Like, and back then, when I was growing up, we had church clothes. Come on, somebody. Church clothes. You had school clothes, and you had play clothes. And so church clothes meant I was going to wear a shirt that was really too tight in the neck, it was, I felt like I was strangling all day with a clip-on tie. Come on, bring back the clip-on ties. You remember the clip-on ties, the little clip-on ties? So I'm choking, and it's decorated with a little tie. And I've got shoes on that are like a half a size too small, killing my feet. But I look cool. I didn't have a choice. And then when I go to school, my mom, she bought me this, uh, this sweater. It had Mickey Mouse on it. It was like a blue sweater, and Mickey Mouse took up almost the whole front, and then Mickey Mouse was shiny and glittery, and it wasn't a kind of shirt that a first grader would want to wear to school. I didn't feel like it was like, I felt like I was going to get beat up in school. I'm wearing, I'm wearing this shirt. Man. But I wore it. I didn't have a choice. But eventually, I got to pick up my own clothes, and I get to... Wear what I want to wear. Now, at some point in time, you have to grow up and put on your own clothes. And spiritually, at some point, we have to grow up and stop waiting for somebody else to put on our armor and put on the armor of God. Amen, everybody? Grow up and put on. Everybody say, grow up and put on. Verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. 
And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth, number one, belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Six pieces of armor. All of the armor is for, to go on the offense. There's nothing on the back of the armor. There's no back plate of righteousness. There's a, it's all in the front, right? So that we can gain new ground. So we can gain new ground for Jesus and for the gospel. The first piece is the belt of truth. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Your belt holds it all together. So truth holds it all together. Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a truth. He is the truth. The gospel is true. We must understand, as we put on the belt of truth, that the gospel is true. It's not just an idea. It's truth. Jesus did die on the cross. Jesus did rise from the grave. It is a historical fact. The gospel is true. I love when we sing the song based off the Apostles' Creed, I, I believe. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. And then we see the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers your vital organs. So when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, it, it covers everything that's vital. It covers spiritually our soul and it covers our emotions. And so we see that the breastplate covers us. It's the breastplate of righteousness. Now, Paul referenced Isaiah 59. In the Old Testament, we see that the breastplate was put on whenever someone was going to go to work for God, when there was an assignment from God to go to work. In particular, when there was injustice in the world. Look what it says in Isaiah 59, verse 15. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed, so he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm, and his justice sustained them. Verse 17, he put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. When you put on the breastplate of righteousness, Isaiah says this, and Paul references it, that you begin to feel what God feels. You begin to see with your spiritual eyes and hear with your spiritual ears and you begin, your heart begins to break for what God's heart breaks for. Have you ever seen some injustice and go, somebody's gotta do something about that. Maybe it's the poor, maybe it's human trafficking, but you see injustice and you're like, something has to happen. There's a need. And sometimes we think, man, I wish somebody would help. I wish somebody would do something. Well, that somebody may be you, it may be me. I've experienced this many times. When I was 18 years old, a freshman in college, I went to Liberty University. 
on a wrestling scholarship, had no plans to go into ministry. In fact, I was kind of running from God. And that's when I surrendered my life to Jesus. That's when I decided I'm going to stop running from God. I believed, I, I, I really kind of established my faith that Jesus Christ did rise from the grave, that he did die on the cross for my sins, and I completely went all in to God. And I said, I want to serve you the rest of my life. I had no idea what that looked like. But I heard a stat that really broke my heart, and it said 95% of all those that receive Christ do so before the age of 21. I thought, man, only 5% of people get saved after they're 21 years old. I don't know what the stat is today, but that's what it was at the time. It's probably fairly similar. Probably the age is probably even lower now. But my heart broke. I was 18 years old at the time. I had just graduated from high school, and I began to think of all of my friends that I went to high school with that I, know, I knew about God, and I, but I was not living for God. And I thought, man, I did nothing to help anybody when I was in high school. I did nothing to help anybody find Jesus. I was lost myself. Just, and I thought, man, I wish I could go back and make a difference And so God began to call me to serve in student ministry. And for 13 years, I was a youth pastor. Never dreamed I would be a senior pastor. I didn't thought I'd be a youth pastor my whole life. Then God called me to plant C3 Church 25 years ago. And Martha and I moved from Lynchburg, Virginia, down to Clayton, North Carolina 25 years ago. What am I trying to say? When you put on the breastplate of righteousness, your heart begins to break for what God's heart breaks for. And then you go to work. You put your work boots on. Let, let's go to work. Let's make a difference. Amen? Amen? Now we got the feet with the gospel of peace. I love this, verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I believe that as believers that we must personally experience peace, and then we must have peace in our relationships, peace in our church among believers, because I think the greatest attack is not from the outside in, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the, like the big C church. I don't think our greatest attack is so much from the outside in. I think the, the devil just wants to get the, the Christians to start fighting and the Christians to be in conflict and the Christians to be competing and churches to be competing with each other. And if I can just keep Christians distracted and not living at peace with each other, then I can take the church down very easily. And I think if we're going to experience victory, that we first of all must experience peace in our relationships. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Come on, somebody. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. It's about God sending his only son to this earth so we could find hope in Jesus, the death, burial, and the resurrection. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. But when little things that are minor divide the church, divide churches, I think the devil's like, that's exactly what I was hoping for. If I can just keep them bickering over little minor things, then I'll I'll be able to defeat them. That's my thought. How about this? The shield of faith, verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we have this shield of faith, which was about four feet by two feet, made of wood, covered with leather, dipped in water, So when they would shoot the fiery darts, it would be extinguished because they had these shields that would extinguish. These fiery darts, Paul says, are are from the evil one, and they are lies. The devil's coming at you with lies. And they would have these shields 
that you could literally interlock. So you could have the people on each side of you, you could lock your shields together. And so when, the, when you were advancing towards the enemy, it was like a big wall because you weren't alone, which is a beautiful picture of the church. As we do life with other people and we, we are part of a small group or we're a part of a, a serving team and we've locked our shields together, we can overcome anything. We can experience victory. We, we need each other, right? Even the Bible says, if you go back to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 5, a wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance, you can wage your war and an abundance of counselors, there is victory. We need counselors in our life. We need friends in our life. We need people who see our blind spots and we need to lock arms together, lock shields together, and we can advance so don't do life alone. Amen? Amen? Be a part of a small group. I know you guys are kicking off small groups for your summer. Don't overlook that. Give it some thought this summer. Even if you can't go every week, let me encourage you to go ahead and sign up and say, whatever weeks I can, I'll be there. I know summers can be crazy. And then be, begin serving on a team because that's how we can really overcome the enemy, not isolating ourselves and doing life alone. Then he says the helmet of salvation in verse 17 and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Satan wants to attack our mind. So we need to put on the helmet of salvation. And every morning I wake up and I, and I, I declare a declaration over my life every day. When I was here last year, I shared with you the 31 I am declarations. Well, I, every single morning at 6 a.m., I get a reminder of that declaration for that day. And I declare that over my life. I try to go on offense before the enemy tries to fill my head with lies. Before he tries to tell me who I am, I want God to tell me who I am. And so when you wake up in the morning, just declare, I am saved. I am called. I am anointed. I am a warrior for the king. Just declare what God says about you. So when the devil tries to come against you with lies, you've already established and declared who you are in Christ. And then the sword of the spirit. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible is our weapon. The Bible is sharper than any two-edged sword. Look at Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Get in the word, let the word get in you and work through you. It's alive. And then I want us to point out here that maybe you forget one of the pieces of the armor, right? You're like, oh man, what was, you feel like this, you're up against a challenge, an obstacle. Let me share with you this. The good news is that Jesus is the full armor of God. He literally is all of this. Jesus is the full armor of God. So if you forget parts of the armor, just put on Christ. Because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is righteousness. Jesus is peace. Jesus is faith. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is the word of God. He is all of this. So put on Christ. 
He is the full armor of God. Romans 13 verse 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So be strong in the Lord and put on Christ. Everybody say, be strong in the Lord. Say, put on Christ. Greater is he that is in me than the devil that's in the world. Will you pray with me right now? Will you take some time right now, right where you are, and just respond to God? Take a moment right now and just share with him what's on your heart. Maybe as we're talking about victory, you're like, man, I don't feel like I'm living in victory. As believers, as followers of Christ, we can know that we have the victory, but there may be some areas of our life that we're feeling defeated in. I know I have the victory, but man, it doesn't feel like I'm experiencing victory in my marriage. It doesn't feel like I'm experiencing victory with my children. It doesn't feel like I'm experiencing victory in my finances or in my career. We just give that to the Lord right now. He knows. And identifying that and just giving it to him, he says, cast all of your cares upon me because I care for you. We don't need to live in fear. We don't need to live with condemnation. But knowing that Jesus, he is with you. He is for you. Just take some time right now just to lay at the feet of Jesus, whatever it is that you're feeling right now, whatever you're dealing with. I just sense there's some people in here right now that there have been some things that have, that have been done to you. It may have been years ago. Maybe even when you were a child, but there's some things. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. And it's, and, it, and it's surfacing in some different ways. I just declare healing over your life. I just declare a cleansing and just a, a freedom in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, just flow through you. Well, that you would take what the devil meant for evil and turn around. You're a turnaround kind of God. Lord, I thank you that you take all things and work them all together for the good, for your glory. So God, would you do that? Would you take that pain and that hurt and turn around? And allow them to live out your purpose. Maybe you're here today and you're just confused. You're just, I'm just confused. I just don't know. Like, I'm, I just feel, I don't know what to do. Our God is not the God of confusion. He's not the God of chaos. We just give that to the Lord right now. And I just declare that he'll give you clarity. He's going to give you discernment. Holy Spirit, would you shine the light on their situation, Lord, that they would see what you see, they would hear what you hear. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, to be honest, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm a follower of Jesus, but I would like to know for sure. The first step is to know for sure that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. 
believing that he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. And I'm going to ask you right now to pray this prayer after me, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. And Romans 10, 13 says, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So will you pray this prayer after me? Say, dear God, I realize that I've sinned and I need you. Please forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the grave. Come into my heart and save me. Thank you for giving me eternal and abundant life. Help me to live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Just remain in a posture of prayer, but if you prayed that prayer and you say, I, I, I prayed that prayer to receive Christ as my Savior and Lord, and would you just give me a wave right now? Just lift up your hand real quick and just give me a wave and say, I prayed that prayer. Awesome. God bless you. Over there, over there. You have many of you. Anybody else? Thank you so much. God bless you. Not only do I see you, but God sees you. And we celebrate with you new life in Jesus. If you take a moment and take that next steps card and just check off Whatever your decision is today, we'd love to help you. I know the staff and the team here would love to help you with your next steps and to, to, to pray with you, whatever it is that you need to take your next step. So God, we love you, Lord. We just declare victory in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys.